I mean, what would that really look like? If the church really got serious about prayer. I mean, we've been talking about rhythms in our lives, patterns that help us follow Jesus. And maybe one of the most significant ones is that word prayer. And the Bible speaks to this rhythm. In fact, it gives us this in Thessalonians. It says this, it says to pray without ceasing. You see, this should be a rhythm in our life that never stops. A rhythm that is constant, that is part of who we are. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. The rhythm of prayer. The rhythm of prayer of us as a church, as a body, Northridge Church, becoming people who find themselves on their knees before a holy God saying, we can't do this without you. And I just thought this morning, what better way to start a message on prayer than through prayer? And so why don't we do this at at four locations, some of you watching online, just one church in multiple locations gathering together and praying to one perfect and holy God. So would you pray with me? God, thank you that we just have the opportunity to speak to you. That in itself is amazing. And so God, we pray that you would create in us this passion, this desire, this hunger for prayer that we wouldn't be a church that depends on ourselves, but that through prayer that we would just say, God, we're dependent on you. We can't do it without you. We need you. So may we this morning learn about prayer. May we grow in, in our walk and may this become a rhythm, a pattern in our life. May we become people who pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church, man. We're excited to have you. I want to welcome all of our campuses, Webster, Greece, Aranaquit, and Henrietta. Those of you who are watching with us online and all of our guests kind of checking out Northridge Church, we are honored to have you here this morning. And, you know, I wonder if you were given an opportunity, an opportunity to have a conversation with anyone who's ever walked on the face of the earth, past or present. I wonder who that would be for you. I mean, if you were just given the opportunity to sit down with someone, to to have a cup of coffee, and just ask questions, who would that person be for you? Now, we're going to exclude Jesus from this question. Like, get rid of Jesus for a second. I know that sounds like not good to say in church, but we're we're just going to get rid of Jesus. And I wonder who that might be for you. Maybe it's a professional athlete, a movie star, a past president, some leader who's impacted your life, where you just had an opportunity to sit down and ask them questions and have a conversation. You know, when I think of this question, I know I told you to pick one. Well, I picked three. (laughs) I have the mic. I'm allowed to do that. But three people who I would love to sit down and have a conversation with, I think it starts with a man named Abraham Lincoln. Um, I've loved reading some of his biographies and getting to know him and just the leader he was. And I would love to just sit down and get to know him a little bit better, ask him some questions. On that same vein, I think another leader that I would love to talk to is Martin Luther King Jr. And just ask him some questions of how he led through some tumultuous, crazy times in life and how he did it with courage. And then on a different vein, I think the third one would just be Michael Jordan. He's, I watched him growing. I like sports, watching Michael Jordan play basketball. I know there's this big debate right now whether it's MJ or LeBron. So in church, I figure I just like make it clear that MJ is the greatest player to ever play the game. Can I get an amen, church? Woo. Some of you, you teenagers are like, who's Michael Jordan? We'll meet later. 
But you know what's amazing? So when we think about this question, we all have people, leaders, people in the past who have influenced our life. And, and we all desire at some point to, to sit down with someone and have a conversation. But you know what's amazing to me is that the God of the universe, the God who created everything that we see and know, has made a way where we can communicate with him. I mean, just for a moment, let that sink in. That God, the God who, who loves us, the, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, perfect holy God who gave up his son to save us from our sins, and he made a way so we could talk to him. I mean, isn't that amazing? But yet for a lot of us, we overlook it. We rarely engage with it, and it's just another thing to do. And this morning, we're going to talk about that tool called prayer, where God has made a way for us to communicate with him. And we've been talking about rhythms. We're winding this series down, patterns in our life that really help us build our relationship and walk closer with God. We've talked about being in God's word. We've talked about worshiping and resting. We've talked about a lot of patterns in our life that help us become better disciples. And we're ending with this tool God has given us called prayer, this rhythm. And the Bible really talks a lot about prayer. Just to give you a couple facts, there's over 650 prayers listed in the Bible. 450 answers to prayer throughout Scripture. The Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times. Paul speaks on prayer 41 different times. And throughout the entire Bible, the word prayer is used over 300 times. So you see a significant theme here. Prayer is significant in the Bible. Therefore, it should just practically and theologically be significant in our lives. And I wonder if it is. And here's just a small glimpse of what the Bible says about prayer. Romans 12. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in afflictions, and faithful in prayer. Colossians 4. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Acts 6, it says, give our attention to prayer. Acts 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer. And so you see, just in this small glimpse of what Scripture says, that prayer is kind of a big deal. And the first thing we can glean from these passages is that prayer should be a constant rhythm of devotion. Prayer should be this constant in our life. It should be this ongoing. I mean, we read the verse, pray without ceasing, without stopping. That's constant in our lives. And you see in this passage, it says to be faithful in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Give your attention to prayer. And they all join together constantly, ongoing in prayer. And I think we have to understand that prayer should be this constant rhythm of our life. It's a rhythm of devotion. You see, when we pray, what we're doing is we're saying our allegiance, our allegiance is in Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. That's where our devotion is. And so for some of us, we have to get to this place where prayer is this constant Rhythm in our life of devotion. That Greek word uh, called devoted, that word devoted actually means to continue steadfastly. 
When you continue something, you don't stop. It just is ongoing. The second thing we see in just these, this glimpse of Scripture is that prayer is about where you place your dependence. I mean, ultimately, when we talk about this word prayer, what prayer is, is it's us as human beings declaring our allegiance to God, but also our dependence on God. When we pray, this is what we're saying. God, I, I, I can't do it without you. God, I need you. God, this is bigger than me. You're mightier than me. You're stronger than me. You're wiser than me. And so I am praying to say I am dependent not on my strength or my ability. I'm dependent on a holy God who is way beyond me and way bigger than me. Arthur Pink says it like this. He says, prayer is not so much an act as it is an attitude. An attitude of dependency. Dependency on God. And so we have to understand prayer starting, we, we, it's got to be this rhythm in our life, this constant rhythm of devotion and dependency. But I, I think when it comes to prayer, you think of Northridge Church and a, and a church this size, when we say that word, prayer means something different for a lot of us. Because some of you, you just started following Jesus. I mean, you've been following Jesus for, you know, a week or six months or a year. And when you hear that term prayer, you think of that awkward moment in your life where you talk to someone who doesn't feel like they're there. You know, that's kind of what prayer is for you right now. It's just this, this weird thing. And, and for some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for 40 plus years and, and prayer is, is a part of who you are. It's something you do on a regular basis. And what I think has happened in the church is we've tried to take this term created by God, prayer, this relationship building thing. And we've tried to narrow it down into this rigid, rigid definition. We try to create this formula. If you pray certain words or you pray in a certain style, God likes that prayer better. And we've formulated prayer. And I want us to understand something up front about prayer. Prayer is not a formula you master. It's a relationship you build. You see, prayer is not about the words that you say. It's not about whether you pray in King James only or NIV. It doesn't matter. God just wants to hear from you because he wants to build a relationship with you. And it's not some strict, rigid formula or equation that we master. It's all about building our relationship with Jesus Christ. And John Piper came up with this acronym. It's called FADES. And what he says is, is when we forget what prayer truly is and how it can be uh, free and how it can be open and, and how it's not rigid, it oftentimes, when we forget what prayer can be, it oftentimes leads to a, a significant time in our life where our prayer life fades. And so I want to remind you this morning of, of what prayer can look like. And, and it starts with this acronym. You see, prayer can be free or it can be form. And free means, hey, here's the truth. God doesn't care how you talk to him. He doesn't care the language you talk to him because he knows them all. And, and free means you just talk to God the way you talk to any other person. You talk to God like your father. You talk to him like a close friend. It doesn't have to be certain dialect. You just want to communicate with God. It's free. But prayer can also be formed. Sometimes we just pray the word of God. We just pray. We see in Jesus, he says, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, that's a formed prayer that we pray. And sometimes we just speak to God like we do in every conversation. It's free, but sometimes it's formed where we pray the, the scriptures. Sometimes prayer can be alone or it can be assembled. There's going to be moments in your life where you just got to get away from the crowd 
Get away from the noise and just spend some time alone building your relationship with God. And, and prayer can be alone, but it also can be assembled. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing right now is we're assembling together over four campuses and people watching online gathering in one name. And when we're gathered together corporately, we pray. We give God glory. And so prayer can be alone or assembled. It can be desperate or it can be delighted. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna run across circumstances in your life where you're desperate for God. Maybe you're there right now where you're just on your knees saying, God, I can't do this. I, I need you. I need your provision. I need your healing. I need you to intervene, God, and you'll be desperate. But there will also be times in your life where you're delighted, where you just rejoice, you're happy, you're glad for who God is and the blessings he's given you. And all you do is you thank God out of the overflow of who he is and what he's done in your life, where you're just delighted to pray. Prayer can also be explosive or extended. When I say explosive, I just mean short phrases. Now, I think some of us, we think we got to pray these long-winded, extended prayers, but sometimes prayers are just thoughts out of the top of our head. God, you are perfect. That's a prayer, man. When you just say to God, hey, you're perfect, God, you're holy. Thank you for being God. Thank you for loving me. You're amazing, God. Help me today, God. Those are prayers. And they don't have to be this long-winded, majestic prayer. It can just be a short phrase, explosive, but it also can be extended. And as you walk with God, and as you grow in your relationship, I think your prayers, at some point, you should lean in and have extended prayers. Prayers that last longer than 10 seconds, but prayers that are 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes, and an hour long. You know, I think for a lot of you, to pray for an hour would be an awkward thing. This is weird, God. And it's because we haven't gotten to that level of relationship with God where an hour with him feels like 10 minutes. You know, that's one thing I love about my wife is I can spend three hours straight with her just talking and it will feel like 10 minutes. And that's the place we gotta get our relationship with Jesus at where we're, man, we spend an hour with him and we're just like, man, God, I can't get enough of this because it's extended prayer. Prayer can also be spontaneous and scheduled. So sometimes it's just this moment where God or the Holy Spirit whispers in your mind, hey, pray for that person in a conversation. And it's not planned, it's just spontaneous. We just say, hey, can I pray for you? Moments in your life where you don't plan to pray, but the Spirit leads you to pray. Driving in your car, at your cubicle, you just stop everything. God, I need you right now. But there's also times where we schedule prayer. And as you grow with your relationship with God, man, I think we should have prayer in our schedule. Life is busy. We all know this. And our schedule will be filled. It's just a matter of what it's filled with. And I think sometimes we got to schedule time to pray with God because prayer is not this formula. It's not this equation that we get a hold of and we master and we're amazing prayers, but it's this relationship. It's building your relationship with your Savior, your master, and your leader. And so prayer can be free and fo or formed. It can be alone or assembled, desperate or delighted, explosive or extended, spontaneous or scheduled. But here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that many, for many of us, prayer finds itself in three occasions, and three occasions alone. You see, I think for many of us, we find our prayer life in these three equations. The first one is mealtime. We pray before breakfast, before lunch, 
and before dinner. And that's when we pray. We, we pray at mealtime, and then the second occasion is bedtime. If we have kids, we tuck them into bed, and we pray with them, and we lay in, in bed by ourselves or with our spouse, and we pray. Pray, God, protect our family. God, watch over us. And so we pray at mealtime, at bedtime, and then we pray on the third occasion. We pray when crisis hits. When things get bad and it's bigger than us and we can't fix the problem on our own and we pray. I mean, think about our culture and our country. When does our, our country pray? Well, when it gets bad enough, like September 11th or some storm comes in and the entire country shifts back to God and says, oh, we should probably pray because God's the only one big enough to handle this. And I wonder if those are the three categories where your prayer life is found. And not that those are bad times to pray. But if that's where your prayer life is found, I, I got good news for you today. God designed prayer to be so much greater and bigger than that. And if you only get one thing out of this message, I want you to get this. Prayer was designed to be your steering wheel, not your spare tire. Prayer was designed to be the steering wheel in your life that guides you, that protects you, that builds this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one of the tools God has given us to direct our life, to lead our life. When I've got a question, I pray because that's the first place I go to steer my life. I don't make decisions on my own. I go to God because that's my steering wheel and I go to him through prayer. But I, I'm just afraid in my life, I'm guilty of this, that prayer has is not my steering wheel. In fact, it's, it's my spare tire. And when the good tire blows, I go and get the spare. And that's how we treat God. We treat him like this ATM. Hey, God, I need cash, and I need it fast. I, I, I'm, I'm hurting right now, God. And, and I know I haven't talked to you in six months, but I'm desperate, and I'm in a crisis, and I can't fix this, so will you help me? He's our genie in a bottle. You just stay in the lamp, God, until I need you. And when I need a wish and I need you and when I can't do it on my own, God, don't worry. I'll rub that lamp as fast as I can and I'll bank on you coming through. Because God's not our steering wheel. Prayer's not our steering wheel. It's our spare tire that we bank on when we need it. And the Bible clearly says to be devoted to prayer. To, to put our attention to prayer, to be faithful in prayer, to constantly be joining in prayer. And so what does that look like? Honestly, what does that look like for our lives? And we find a story of a man who lived this out in Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screens as well. It's gonna be on page 725 in the Northridge Bibles. If you don't have one, you can use that one. And, and Daniel chapter six, verse one, it kind of gives us, the context, it says this, it says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, that just means governors, to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one being Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so the king that might, might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators that the satraps, by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. Now, let me just set the, the context of this story. Daniel is in the Babylonian Empire. He's an Israelite in enemy territory. 
And he's serving under this king named Darius. And Darius appoints Daniel to be an administrator, a, an overseer over many satraps. And through this decision, Darius begins to notice that Daniel, what the Bible says, he has leadership ability or exceptional qualities. And so King Darius notices Daniel is effective. He's a good leader. And so he begins to start the process of making Daniel in charge of the entire kingdom. And so guess what happens? All the other governors, the satraps, the prefects, the administrators, they get wind of this rumor. And much like our world today, when someone's up for a promotion, you work really hard, and then you hear news that he or she is going to get it over you, this is how they felt. Like most of us, like, why them and why not me? Why, why, why Daniel, King Darius? Why would you pick Daniel, and why wouldn't you pick me? And so this group of jealous governors, they come up with this plan that they're going to investigate Daniel's life. They're going to dig up some dirt, find something wrong with Daniel to prove to the king that he's not worthy of the job that has been given to him. It's kind of like our politics today, you know, when you run for governor or president, the, the other side just tries to bring up as much dirt as they can about that person so you won't vote for them. And so, like, this is exactly what's taking place in this culture is, is Daniel is, these, these groups of, of governors are trying to find some dirt on Daniel. And this is what they found in, in verse 5. It says, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And I have probably read this verse 30 times this week. And it has straight up sat on my shoulders up till this point. It slapped me in the face. It's weighed on me. Because I wondered about my life. If someone was to do an investigation of my life, is this what they would find? If someone was to do an investigation of your life, is this what they would find? I mean, they, they look into Daniel's life, every nook and cranny. And you know what they found to be true about Daniel? The only thing they could find fault in him was that he was too faithful to his God. And I don't know about you, but that straight up convicts me. I mean, that's what I want my life to look like. And ultimately, as a church, we have a mission. We want to make more and better disciples. And our end goal for every single person that walks through the doors of our auditorium, through the process of Jesus refining us and redeeming us, our goal is that we would become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right there is what it looks like. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, they looked at Daniel's life, and this is what they say. We cannot find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with his God. Man, I hope one day that's true about me. That when people investigate me, they would say, man, the only thing I can find fault with Drew is he just loves Jesus that much. And so they have to change their entire strategy to get Daniel to prove to the king that Daniel's not worthy. This is what they do in verse 7. It says, the royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So the king put the decree in writing. 
So here's what they do. They, they're actually smart governors. They, they come up with this idea to, to get the king. They're going to smooge the king. They're going to they're get the king prideful. And they make this edict that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to a human or God other than King Darius. You know, as I read this story, I, I love that scripture is so detailed. And it says for 30 days. And, and to be honest and just to be real with you, if, if I was living in, in, in Daniel's shoes, I think for 30 days I would have been like, you know, that's not that long. I'll, I'll just wait 30 days. I won't pray to God and I'll save my bacon. And I'll just move on. Like 30 days isn't that long, right? God, hey, this is the law, God, and, and, and I know I'm supposed to pray to you, but 30 days, God, is just 30 days. I'll just take a break for 30 days and then I'll come back to you. And if we're just being real, I think probably a lot of us, that's how we would have navigated this situation. We would just say, ah, it's, you know, I'm just missing prayer. Like I can still read God's word. I can, I can still do certain things. It's just 30 days, God, no big deal. And, and honestly, I don't want to go to the lion's den. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And so 30 days, God, I'll just Press pause. I'm not going anywhere, God. It's just 30 days. And I think that's how we would have navigated it. But Daniel, this wasn't something he couldn't give up. Look what he, how he responds, verse 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home up to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And you just gotta love Daniel and his faithfulness. And I love the details of scripture again. It says, Daniel didn't go and, and shut all his curtains and pull his blinds and be like, hey, I'm gonna pray, but no one will know. No, it says the windows were open towards Jerusalem. That's the city. So everybody could see Daniel. Hey, Daniel's praying. He didn't do it just once. He didn't drop from three times to one time a day hidden in the closet. No, he opened the windows. He didn't open them. They were already opened. And he just said, hey, this is my rhythm. And nothing, not even some government law is going to change what my God tells me to do. And man, I think we can get some insight from this passage. I think we can learn from Daniel how to create a rhythm of prayer in our lives. Because I, I think if you were to ask Daniel, Daniel, are you a guy who prays? I think his answer would have been no. I really do. I think if you were to walk up to Daniel and be like, hey, Daniel, are you a, a, a person who prays? He would be like, no, I'm not a person who prays. Because I, I think here's a big shift I think that the church and that Christians need to make is we view prayer as an act that we do. And I think we fundamentally have to get to this place in our life where prayer isn't something I do, it's who I am. I mean, that's Daniel. Daniel would have easily said, hey, I'm not a person who prays, I'm a person of prayer. And there's a significant difference there. Many of us would say, I'm a person who prays, not a I am a person of prayer. And man, I think we need to make a shift where prayer isn't just an act that we live out on a regular basis, 
But prayer is, is part of our DNA in, in walking and following with Christ. It's this constant rhythm where every day I'm living and breathing in prayer. I'm not a person who prays. I am a person of prayer. That was Daniel. No law was going to change that. And I think for a lot of us, we allow the, the outward influences of life to to direct our relationship with God. I think that's how a lot of us live as Christians, is based on what the world is doing, that affects our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Daniel was not that man. Daniel flipped the coin. He said, actually, what's gonna change is my relationship with Christ is gonna affect everything around me, not everything around me affecting my relationship with God. It didn't matter what the circumstance was. It didn't matter lion's den or life is really good. Daniel just prayed. And it says in this verse, it says, he went on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So this wasn't the first time. Life didn't just get bad and Daniel decided to pray. Daniel just prayed on a regular basis. And I think in the church, we have to become a, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who we don't just pray, but prayer is who we are. And how do we get there? I mean, how did Daniel get there? He obviously didn't wake up one day being a person of prayer, praying on a regular basis. He built into it. And I think he probably started here. I think he probably started here. And I think for a lot of us, we need to start here where we don't give God just your desperate prayers because he wants your everyday prayers. Man, I, I think for a lot of us, I wonder if we could measure this. If we could measure how often when we pray, we're requesting something from God. I wonder that this morning. I wonder that about my prayer life and, and, and I wonder for your prayer life, if we could measure that, the percentage of the times that we go and we communicate with God, how many times we're like, hey God, I, I need something. I need you to do something for me. I need you to come through for me. I'm requesting something. I mean, we all have people in our lives like that, don't we? You know, that person who you, you know, they, they call your phone and you're like, yep, they need somebody. They need something. And how do you feel about those people? You're excited to talk to him, aren't you? Yeah, he's calling again. Woohoo! But yet we do the same thing to God on a regular basis. And for a lot of us, we, we give God our desperate prayers, and that's the only prayers that we give him. And I want you to understand, God wants your desperate prayers. God loves your desperate prayers, but he also wants your every single average normal day prayer. He does. I think we should talk to God on the regular about the regular. And I think this is where we miss it as, as people, is we just miss talking to God on a regular basis. Hey, God, my week was terrible. Would you just comfort me? Hey, hey God, I got a business meeting this morning, and I'm worried. Will you just be with me? God, my boss told me something I didn't like to hear. Will you just let me know if it's true? I mean, I mean, like just normal, everyday prayers. Hey, God, my kids, they are driving me crazy. Help me. God, you're holy. You're amazing. God, I just want you to know I'm so glad that you saved me from my sin. Just everyday, normal, average Joe prayers. God, this is the amazing thing about God is he wants a relationship with you. That's what separates religion from Christianity right there. If you showed up to Northridge Church hoping you would get religion, I'm, I'm telling you, you just came to the wrong place. 
Because we're not about religion. Because religion says you have to do something to earn God's favor. If you pray, God will like you. If you read your Bible, God will like you. And so religion says you got to earn your favor with God. And I'm telling you this morning, he already gave it to you through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross when he died for your sins. You don't have to earn it. God wants a relationship with you. That's a huge difference between religion following the rules and having a relationship with the loving, gracious Father. And I'm telling you, God wants to know you. And we get this messed up. I'm telling you, we don't pray because we have to. We pray because we want to know God and we want to go to God because he's our dad. He's our heavenly Father. And so we don't give God just these desperate ATM, genie in a bottle prayers, but we tell God about every single day life. For those of you who have friends, close friends, or you're married, can you imagine what your marriage would be like if you didn't talk about the day-to-day things, you just talked about things when you needed it? I wonder how strong that relationship would be if that's how you lived. And I'm telling you, God wants to know your everyday normal stuff. And so my question for you this morning as we wind down is, is really just this. It's I want you to really think about this question. Are you devoted to prayer? Are you devoted to prayer? I mean, this is, are you submitted to it? Are you surrendered to it? Are you hungry and passionate about it? Are you devoted to prayer? And I want you to think about this on the regular this week. I want you to, to marinate on this question all week long. Am I a person? Who prays or am I a person of prayer? Colossians 4 says this. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. What would this church look like? What would Northridge Church look like? And let me just define Northridge Church. I mean the people. I mean the people who call this place home. This is your home church. You're bought in. You love it here. What if Northridge Church prayed like Daniel? What would happen if God's people just straight up found themselves on their knees before a holy God who's bigger than us, who's mightier than us, and we just said, God, we're dependent on you, we're devoted to you, our allegiance is in you, and we want to see you change our city and our schools and our neighborhoods. I'm telling you, that doesn't start by us going outside these walls and doing things. It starts when the church gets on their knees before God because he's the one who changes things. And it starts when he changes our heart to become a people who are devoted and dependent on prayer. You want God to change our city? Get on your knees and pray. You want to see God do something to your neighbors? Get on your knees and pray. You want to see God do the miraculous? It doesn't happen by us doing it in our own strength, in our own might. It happens when we get serious and committed and surrendered to being on our knees before a God who is holy and just and gracious and loving and say, God, I just want to sit back and watch you do this. Are you devoted? Are you committed? Are you surrendered to prayer? Isn't what that song said? It says, all the world starts changing when the people of God, the church, starts praying. 
Strongholds start to break. Marriages begin to be restored. Families come back together. People's eternal destination are changed because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so today the question is, is are you devoted to prayer? What would God do if this church I'm not waiting for another church to do it. I want this church to do it. I want to start it with me, and I want to lead the way and say, I just want to be a guy like Daniel who is devoted and is on my knees on a constant rhythm of my life saying, God, I'm dependent and devoted to you. And so we're going to start this rhythm this week. I'm going to give you two challenges as we wind down this series. You see, it starts Monday. Throughout this week, we're gonna have a week of prayer in the life of our church. Five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, from 7 a.m. to 7.30. And I would challenge you and I would urge you, I know your calendar is full, but I would challenge you to make room for this. Where you get rid of whatever's at that 30-minute time spot and you show up and you pray with us. This is campus-specific. And so your campus pastor is going to give you the details of where your campus is going to be praying. You can also find it at the bottom of your program. But we're just going to be a church this week that falls on our knees and say, hey, God, we need you. 7 a.m. to 7.30, I would challenge you to be there. But we're also going to pray today, right now. We're going to sing some songs, and we're just going to give you an opportunity, whether it's just you and God, you just take some time and you sit while we sing and you just pray to God. You come forward at one of our auditoriums and you fall on your knees and you say, God, I'm here and I want you to use me. God, I need help. I need you to intervene, whatever it is. But we are also at all of our locations. We're going to have people in red shirts that say, how can I pray for you? Because sometimes life is difficult. It's good. And maybe you're here this morning and you just want someone to pray on your behalf someone to fight for you, someone to pray before you. And so if that's you, we will have people at all of our auditoriums, around our auditoriums, available to pray for you. Maybe you just need to stand and sing and pray through songs. I don't know where you're at, but I know for a lot of us, it starts with prayer. Are you devoted to it, committed to it? And so our band is gonna come and sing some songs. So would you all stand with me? Will you all stand with us as we sing? And if you need prayer, you can come and get prayer. So as our band sings, you take your time.